The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. It's important for a couple before they get married to understand what marriage is, right? I mean, you don't enter into marriage lightly or loosely. You, you don't enter into marriage uh, not understanding what you're committing, right? I mean, I think some people do. I think some people, they, they believe marriage to be less of a commitment and more of a thing of fun or more of a thing of, you know, just kind of what serves them uh, best. And marriage is something, it's an ordinance. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that God's given. Uh, he's organized it. He's ordained it. And uh, God gives some very specific things about marriage that are very serious and very heavy. And uh, so we have to understand what those are. And when you think about the ordinances of the church, I want you to think about, about them in that respect. We tend to think about communion, maybe because we grew up and we took communion, and that communion was more of a singular private action. In other words, it was about us. It was internal. It was not observed in a sense of, in a way that we thought about the people around us but it was more about thinking about ourselves. It was very internal. Sometimes we tend to even do that when we observe the Lord's table here, is we tend to only think about ourselves with it. We're not necessarily thinking about those that are around us. And I want you to think about the community uh, of the Lord's Lord's table, the the community of communion, and why uh, God calls the church to come together to do this. Because it's not a private thing. It's a public thing, right? And so there's community in that. And uh, what on earth does this all have to do with the Lord's Supper? What is, the, what is marriage? What is the commitments? What does that have to do? And, and uh, again, um, sometimes we have this view of communion. We go to church. We hear the word. We eat the bread. We drink the cup. And, and we're reminded of Christ's death and forgiveness of our sins. And then we go home. I mean, that's, that's all there is to it. I mean, there's not much outside of that for many. And uh, we associate the Lord's Supper with the church, and at least in the sense of that it's something we do when we go to church. And so we don't do it at home. We do it at, you know, we do it here in in the church, and so we associate it with the church. But for Christians, uh, that's kind of as far as many Christians go when it comes to putting the Lord's Supper uh, uh, and the local church together. But I want to argue from the text that we just read that the Lord's Supper actually plays a crucial role in putting the church together. Uh, the, the Lord's Supper plays a crucial, crucial role, just like when a couple comes together to be married, their vows, that ceremony, puts two people together. Th- think about that ceremony. Um, is the couple married when they say, I do? Is the couple married when they consummate the marriage? Is the couple married when they put on the rings? Is the couple married... When they, uh, when they, you know, they, they kind of go through the motions at the end of the ritual. Is a couple married? It's kind of all of those things, isn't it? It's kind of all of those elements. It's not just one of those elements. It's all of those things together. But we understand that the marriage ceremony is not just the public part as much as it's the private part. There's a consummation of the marriage. There's a, a, a continuing of the marriage. And we understand that it's something that brings two people together. Well, the Lord's Supper is about bringing the church together. The Lord's Supper actually puts the church uh, together. And the Lord's Supper here, according to our text, 
makes many one. I want you to think about that first point. The Lord's Supper makes many one. Uh, Think about how baptism adds one to many. Uh, you, You think about the public ordinance of baptism is something, again, that we observe within the the local body of believers. Just think with me tonight, just for a few minutes, Um, because we tend to, with the Lord's Supper, put things on autopilot, right? You do it, you tell me, you read, and I'll just do this and do this, and I'm done, right? Uh, We need to think about what we're doing, right? Because this is an important thing. And uh, so, as you consider the, 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 the baptism in the church, when we, when we see a public baptism, we're understanding uh, that there are people, the same day, the Bible says, they were added to the church. One added to many. And so baptism takes one person and adds them to many. The Lord's Supper, which is the second ordinance that God's given to the church, takes many and makes them one. It takes many people and puts them together. It unifies them. The Lord's Supper makes many one. And I'm focusing on that for, for two reasons. First, it's a widely neglected thing amongst many Christians. And I think Paul clearly teaches in the Scriptures that the Lord's Supper binds many into one. And uh, look at verse number 17. We read it. For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. And so Paul's point is shaping that. And, and how the Lord's Supper constitutes a local church is, is crucial uh, to many of the practical questions uh, you know, pastors and even churches face when, when we come to who should participate in the Lord's Supper, right? Who's, who's allowed to participate? Who should lead it? Uh, what church-like gatherings are permitted to celebrate it? Uh, I, I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of parachurch groups that think that they have the authority to baptize. There's a lot of parachurch groups that think they have the authority to give communion. But God gives the authority to both baptize and to give communion to the local body of believers, to the local church. And what is a local church? Well, a local church is not just a bunch of Christians together. That's not what the local church is. I know the local church is a called-out assembly, but they're organized into a body of believers. The local church is a group of people that are committed to Christ and committed to each other, right? Committed to Christ, but committed to each other. Uh, can you be part of a local church without committing to other believers? You can't. You can't just say, well, I'm committed to Christ, and then I'm part of a church. No, no, a local church is, is a body of believers that are committed to Christ and committed to each other. And uh, we, we, we think about that because that's what, how the Lord's Supper makes many one. Look at the text again. He says, the, the, the cup of blessing which uh, we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break is not communion of the body of Christ. So it's both the communion of the blood of Christ, but it's communion of the body of Christ, but it's communion or community that makes all of us one through that communion. And Paul here reminds the Corinthians that to eat the bread and to drink the cup is to enjoy the fellowship with Christ, to experience the benefits of his death. But then his claim here is that, and he twice, he says it twice in verse number 17, because there's one bread, we all share that one bread, there's one body, there's one bread, and, and, and he, he repeats that. Paul is saying that the Lord's Supper actually makes many people one. And so it, it gathers up the we who are many, the Bible says, we who are many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. And so Paul uses the one bread as shorthand for the church's corporate, altogether celebration of the Lord's Supper. In other words, the Lord's Supper is the renewing oath sign 
of the new covenant that we have in Christ. In the Lord's Supper, we renew our commitment to Christ and we renew our commitment to each other. Think about that. So tonight when we observe the Lord's Supper, what we're doing is we're renewing our vows to Jesus. Vow renewals, that's a special time, right? That's where I'm saying, yes, I'm going to stay committed. I, I, yes, I'm renewing my vows to the Lord. But let me, let me go beyond that. You are also renewing your vows to the local body here. Uh, and by the way, that's important. It's amazing how lightly people take their commitment to their local church. In other words, if I take my commitment lightly to the local church, whether I'm here or not doesn't really matter. Uh, whether I show up, whether I work, whether I labor, whether I serve, whether I'm a part of the gatherings, whether I'm a part of the giving, whether I'm a part of this, it doesn't really matter because I'm not really committed. So whether I show up or don't show up, how many know that if your spouse did that, you would be angry? So if your spouse just decided, I'm not going to show up, I'm going to show up, I'm not going to show up, but they just vacillated back and forth, you never could really just pin down whether or not they were going to be where they were supposed to be. And you couldn't ask because you don't want to offend them. That's how sometimes people act, even towards me as a pastor. When I come to them, I say, you joined the church. You said, hey, I want to be part of this body. So you came and you joined the church, and then you just kind of treated the church lightly. You know, you said, well, it doesn't really matter whether I attend. It doesn't really matter whether I give. It doesn't really matter whether I serve. And that's not commitment. Commitment is saying, I'm willing to inconvenience myself on the behalf of other people because I, am, I value this relationship. It's an important relationship. Does Christ value his relationship with us? He does. So Christ loves the church, and so he what? He gives himself for it. And he calls husbands to love their wives that way. Uh, he, he, he calls us as members, he says, I speak concerning the mystery of Christ in the church. That's what he, he gives us, even that illustration between husbands and wives, is that the picture in the husband and wife is a picture, he's trying to give us that picture, articulate that picture to us of him in the church, his commitment to us uh, as the body of Christ. And so Paul is actually saying that the Lord's Supper actually unifies us. It makes many people one. And so uh, the local church, I want to give you this kind of this second point. I want to talk about the local church in two steps. What, is, what makes a local church? What makes a local church? Well, the local church in two steps is this. Number one, in the first step, God creates Christians, right? That's how the church comes to be. You're not a church unless you're saved, right? You with me? So, so the prerequisite for being the church is that we've been born again, that we've been Born again, we've been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so how does he do that? How does he create Christians? He sends preachers who proclaim Christ. Romans 10 tells us that. He sends his spirit to enable some who hear to receive and to confess Christ. He causes his word to become effective in their lives. He grants them new life in Christ. And so God creates his church by sending his word and sending his spirit to make his word effective. And so God creates gospel people who have been saved through trusting Christ. That's step one, right? I mean, that's the basic step, I mean, of how a church is created. A church is created through the gospel and people getting saved. And when people come to Christ, they become members of what we would call the universal body of Christ. Everybody who's a believer, they become part of the, the body of Jesus Christ. And they're spiritually one in him. But in order to create a church, a local church... People have to come not only to Christ, but they also have to come to each other. Uh, they don't just consider Christ, 
but they also gather to consider one another and to provoke one another to love and to good works. And so they have to come together, and that coming together requires commitment, doesn't it? And so, yes, the gatherings of the church are not convenient, but here's the truth. They're not meant to be. They're not meant to be. Uh, This idea that church gatherings and church services are all about convenient times for you to come, it's not about convenience. The relationship to the local church is about commitment. It's a relationship. It's not about convenience. And while we live in an age of convenience-only relationships, can I say that relationships that have value are not convenient, they're committed. They're committed relationships. And a local church doesn't automatically spring into existence Whenever two or more Christians gather together, I've heard some Christians talk about the church that way. Well, it's a local church because there's two Christians together. No, it's not. Uh, Or a church would be planted every time you ran into another Christian at Walmart. Okay? Uh, Churches are not planted by two Christians being in the same general vicinity of one another. You do not have a local church because you have a bunch of Christians meeting in a house or a bunch of Christians meeting in a place. That is not what constitutes a church. A local body of believers, yes, first step is that they become Christians. But what constitutes a church is a committed relationship, a body of believers who have given themselves to one another on a consistent, continual basis. And how do we do that? Well, uh, it's more than a, a church is more than a sum of its parts. There has to be something that binds the people together, right? So what binds us together? What keeps us together? Well... I believe it's gospel people that creates a gospel polity, a gospel organization. Uh, uh, In order to create a church, gospel people have to form a gospel polity. So a church is born when Christians commit to be a church together. That's step two. When Christians commit to be a church together. Now think back to the example of marriage. A marriage is born when a man and woman commit to be a husband and wife together. Uh, that's not two people running into each other and loosely, you know, saying, oh, well, we're together, and so that must mean we're married. How many know that marriages are not formed that way? Uh, they're, not, they're not formed through loose connections and loose conversations and, and just passing by type things. God, God calls the church together the way that he calls uh, two together in marriage. And so the vow creates the marriage. A church is born when a group of Christians commit to one another, to do all that Jesus commanded his churches to do together. And so what does he command us to do? Gather for worship, build up each other in love, bear each other's burdens, celebrate baptism and the Lord's Supper together. Isn't that what he called the church to do? So we are a church because we have committed together to do these things together. That's what makes us a church. Think about what makes a family a family. It's not just being born into a family, but it is the very consistent action of coming together, committing to uh, stay together, committing to work together, committing to live together, committing to serve one another, committing to live and, and, and live out even through difficulty, you know, these things. And so if you think about the Lord's Supper, we renew our commitment to Christ and his people. And so think about it this way. All of this that we've talked about is still God's work. It's still God's work. It's his work. I know we think about us, but since he saved us, he empowers us 
in that work that enables the right response to the gospel, the right response of committing to each other. God's work and our work aren't in competition. We can only come together as Christians because God has made us Christians, and God creates a church by creating Christians and enabling those Christians to commit to each other. And so how does that work with the two ordinances? Well, let me uh, talk to you about those two things, the two ordinances, the two ordinances. In a local church in two steps, a local church in two ordinances. Um, the first one is baptism. So in baptism, we publicly commit to Christ and his people. So should someone be baptizing people in their bathtub at home? Well, if they're ordained, uh, or they're ordained minister and they have an established church and they've come together, they're body believers and they're committing to stay together, uh, uh, they're not just baptizing loosely anybody who, who shows up at an event. That's not how baptism is supposed to be. Baptism is a commitment. It's a commitment to Christ, and it's a commitment to a local body. That's why it's done. So when we baptize people, think about this. When people get baptized here, they're not just committing to Christ. They're committed to a local body of believers here. We don't just baptize someone. We say, hey, listen, are you committing in this baptism uh, to live for Christ, to serve him, and to serve really here in this local body of believers? Now, that doesn't mean we own people. Sometimes people move away. We have that. Sometimes, sometimes people fall away. That, that happens too. But really, the intention is when we baptize people, we explain to them, hey, listen, when you're being baptized, you're not just, you didn't attend to an event to be baptized. You're, you're here to be baptized to continue together with this body of believers, this group of people that you're identifying with. I'm identifying with Christ, and I'm identifying with his church. That's what the identity thing is all about. And so baptism, think about it, baptism marks off a believer from the world. In baptism, the church says to the world, this one belongs to Jesus. That's what we say, you know, when someone is baptized. In the Lord's Supper, we renew our commitment to Christ and his people. But think about this. Distinct from baptism, the Lord is, uh, Lord's Supper is something we all do together, right? So baptism, one person, but Lord's Supper is all the body of believers here. We're all doing it together. That's why... Uh, you hear me say often, hey, listen, if you're a member of the church, you need to come and observe the Lord's Supper. Because here's the truth. If we don't observe the Lord's Supper, we're not part of the church. That's what the Bible teaches. We're not part of the church when we don't observe the Lord's Supper. We're actually pulling away from, we're not part. It's, it's like not showing up to the dinner table. Are you with me? I'm at the dinner table with my family because I'm part of the family. When we show up, we show our commitment. We show our sincerity. We show our, our, our continual commitment to, to remaining part of the church. And so the Lord's Supper, we're renewing our vows, our commitments to Christ and to one another. But distinct from baptism, it's something we do together. The Lord's Supper, think about it. As baptism says to the world, marks off one believer from the world, says this one belongs to Jesus, the Lord's Supper marks off an entire group of Christians as one body and draws a line between them and the world all around them. It says, we're believers. We're many, but we're one body in Christ, and every one member is one of another. So it's not about the eating. It's not about the drinking. It's not about the making merry. It's not about uh, us when we have this, but it is very much about us being unified. And we're coming together. Think about even the bread. When we uh, take the bread, isn't it, the symbolism of it is that you're not eating a whole piece of bread or a whole loaf of bread, but you're eating one part of it. And other people are also eating a part of it, right? And so we're all eating a part, 
of the same bread. And that's kind of the idea, isn't it? We're not just drinking, you know, our own drink, but we're all drinking, and that's why we have those little, we're all drinking a part of the same cup, if you would. Uh, now, aren't you glad we don't pass around one cup? Okay? We do that for practical health reasons, okay? We don't pass around one cup. Some of you say, thankful that we don't do that. I don't drink out of a cup and hand it to you, and you don't drink after me, and I don't drink after you. We understand that. But the idea, the idea is that we're drinking from the same cup. We're drinking, we're eating from the same bread because we're part of the same body. That's what we're doing. We're coming together. Imagine... um, One Christian goes to a new city, he preaches the gospel. A handful of people all come to Christ around the same time. The new Christian baptizes each of them. And then this handful of baptized Christians becomes a church. How do they become a church? Well, I suggest that the most basic, most essential answer to uh, when a body of believers become a church is when they observe the Lord's Supper together. I think that's the most practical reason. Remember, the celebrating the Lord's Supper expresses our commitment to Christ and to each other. That's when we declare ourselves to be one body. That's the time we do it, right? So we, we declare ourselves to be. Tonight when we gather, we're saying, hey, listen, we're the church. We're the body. We're together. We're committed to each other. We're not just individually committing to Christ. It's not a private thing. It's a public thing. We're committing to each other. So think about this. I'm committing to you. You're committing to me. You're committing to your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we're taking the same cup. That's why we're eating the same bread. Because we're together. We're one. This is something to unify us. This is something to purify us. You know what that says is I understand. Come on, think with me tonight. Don't fall asleep. I understand that my actions affect the rest of the body. Did you get that? I understand that my actions affect the rest of the body. So I'm not an island to myself. I don't live unto myself. I don't labor unto myself. I am understanding that my actions affect the greater whole. So this body is affected by you. It it is influenced by you. We understand that when we come together. That's why we're unified through that, that, that understanding. And so... The last thing I just want to talk about is just the gorgeous simplicity of it. The gorgeous simplicity of it. Think about God's design for the church. It's simple. It's not complicated. It's simple. But it's truly wonderful. It's it's truly wonderful. Its simplicity is beautiful. I mean, the way that God has put the church together, sometimes what we do, we complicate the church, don't we? We make the church about other things, but really the church is supposed to be about these simple things. The church is supposed to do these simple things well. It's not supposed to busy busy itself doing things that it was never called to do to begin with. It's supposed to do these simple things well. The beauty of the church is its simplicity. If I do these things well, we stay together. We endeavor to keep the unity of the bond of peace. Think about this. If I consider this, if I understand this, listen... The simplicity of a marriage relationship is that two people have come together because they have committed to come together. They have vowed to come together. It's simple. It's not complicated. What do we do? We complicate it. We, we add other things to it. We make it what it's not. We don't, we don't endeavor to do what we said that we would do. But it's really just saying, yeah, I'm committed to these things. The simple thing of just, 
When I said I do to my wife, I just simply said, whatever happens, we're together. I mean, that's it, right? So it's, it's really simple, but we try to complicate it. We just say, well, you know, there's this, you know, this case or that case or that. You know, we, we complicate it. But it's really simple. The church is the shape into which the gospel the church is is the shape into which the gospel and its ordinances form God's people. And so baptism binds one to many. The Lord's Supper binds many into one. And baptism and the Lord's Supper inscribe the gospel into the very shape and structure of the church. And what makes many one are the signs of the gospel. And when Christians come together to form a church. They aren't moving beyond the gospel, but they're moving deeper into the gospel. And uh, just, just to put it simply tonight, we're going to do something that is simple, but so important, so important, so needful, but not to be neglected. And we're going to make some pretty important statements to each other and vows to each other. And so as we observe the Lord's table tonight, don't take it lightly. It's not just swallowing juice and a piece of cracker. It's about a commitment. So you say, well, who can take the Lord's Supper? Who can take the Lord's Supper? Well, believers. Only believers. If you've been born again, if you've trusted Christ, if you're a child of God, if there's been a time in your life where you have believed the gospel and received it, uh, you can partake. Deeper than that, What we do is while we practice a close communion and that we observe it with all believers, really as a church, that's a kindness that we do that we relate to people who are here with us. But really, I hope that in loosely doing that, not maybe so loosely, I don't want to send the wrong message. Uh, There's some churches that have the Lord's table on different nights other than their regular service nights because it really is about just the membership of the church. And I'll be honest with you, I, I don't fault that and don't disagree with that. That's a, that's a choice that a church can make on, on their own because truly it is something that is to be autonomous to us. It's governed within, within, within our own members as God has given us members here in the body of Christ. But it's so important. It's not to be neglected. Can I say this too? We don't have a right as members of the church to just say, I don't want to take the Lord's Supper and so I'm not going to do it. Some people, they, 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 they're in sin, and so they say, well, you know, we can't, if I'm, if I'm open and unrepentant sin, that means I, just, I shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. Well, you're right, you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper if you're an open, unrepentant sin. But it's not, a, it's not a license to just continue in your sin. You know, it's supposed to be something that calls you from that, that says, no, no, I need, I've committed to purity. I've, I've vowed to God, to Christ, and to a body of believers that I'm not going to bring sin into the body of Christ. As I mentioned that, can I just say this? We tend to think, and I'm not going to be graphic in any way, shape, or form, but we tend to think about open, unrepentant, unconfessed sin as being only sexual sin. Can I say that pride and gossip and, uh, and these things that God has revealed to us, perhaps that other people don't know about, are just as much sin and need to be dealt with in our lives? And when they're not dealt with, they manifest themselves into deeper things that become more seen things in our lives. But it starts with us just kind of flippantly treating, you know, God cares about your attitude tonight. Your attitude. What's your attitude towards God? What's your attitude towards the church? I say, well, I'm here, aren't I? Well, I understand that. But hopefully it's more than just that. 
hopefully our attitude when we come together, come on, if you have a family, you understand that it's more than just, well, I'm here, aren't I? There's, there's a deeper, intimate closeness of being a family and a need for us uh, to come together. And so while I may be seeming to belabor the point, I want to say that, listen, if you're a member of this church, it's so important that we do this. And so you've gathered together for this point. So what do we, what do, we do um, with those who don't partake of the Lord's Supper? Well, we need to encourage them to, to be a part of it. Uh, it's needful. We need to articulate that together as a church. Hey, listen, you missed the time where we come together as a body, and uh, we need to encourage them to come together. Uh, kind of like if somebody was missing from the table at your house, you would, you would encourage them. You'd say, hey, listen, we missed you. you. You're missing being at the table. God tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together because uh, we understand that in doing that, we're not keeping our commitments. We're not keeping our commitments to Christ and to his church. And so uh, as I close, let me just read this, these two verses again to us before we uh, observe the Lord's table together. Uh, 1 Corinthians ten sixteen: the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. Let's read that verse 17 again. For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. A lot of churches, before they observe the Lord's table, will have their church read their church covenant together. And they will re-kind of state their vows one to another. Now, that has not been our habit. uh, And that's not what I'm going to do tonight. But I do want you to understand what we're doing. I want you to understand why we're doing it. And I want you not to just, as we so tend to do, consider yourself, but I want you to consider each other tonight. I want you to consider each other tonight. And so here's the commitments we're making when we take the, the cup and the bread tonight. First, our commitment to Christ. Think about this with me. In gratitude, we're presenting our bodies a living sacrifice to be set apart for holiness and those things that are acceptable to God. As a bride, we're coming pure because we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb and we're blameless in His sight. And practically speaking in that commitment, we are confessing any known sins, we are repenting of those sins, and we are committing to live a life that glorifies God. That's our commitment to Christ. Second, here's our commitment to each other. Don't miss this one because this is the one we often overlook. We understand that this observance is a commitment we are making to each other. It's not a private time, it's a public time. As we see each other partaking, as we view each other partaking, we understand that we're committing to live rooted in the gospel with one another. We're committing to be gracious, loving, and forgiving to each other. We're committing to supporting, caring for, and lifting each other up in prayer. And as we observe the Lord's table together, we're vowing identity in Christ, not ourselves. Unity of His Spirit, not our preferences. And we're endeavoring to keep it. We're endeavoring to keep it. We're not going to let anything in between. And so tonight, church, as we observe the Lord's Supper, let's renew our vows. Let's renew our vows to Christ, and let's renew our vows to each other as the body of Christ. Can we do that together? If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. 
Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.